Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Jessica. Welcome to Clue Done It, the podcast where we make wild guesses about fake TV crimes. Without any clues, context, or apparently accuracy. All right, let's find out. Who was right. Who was wrong. And who is dead. Jessica, tell us what show we're going to watch today. We are going to be watching Women's Murder Club. And before we get to talk about Women's Murder Club, we have to talk about the nomenclature about how we talk about mass transit. For example, (laughs) for example, if I were to go to New York and go underground and uh, use my, I can't even give them a token anymore because they don't take tokens. What is it? Is it the Metro card? card? The Metro card. The Metro card. If I was to give, like to swipe my card, what would I be riding on? You would be riding on the subway. The subway, yes. There would be a determinant article. Is that what that's called? A determinant article? I think so. Okay. (laughs) Someone let us know if we're wrong. There would be a determinant article. You would be on the subway. And if I were to go to Chicago and I were to walk along the loop in downtown Chicago and decide, you know what? I'm done with walking. I need to go someplace quicker. And I will walk up a set of stairs to this train that is on steel girders placed above the city streets, where would I be? You would be on the L. The L. Oh, that's right. And you know what is another lovely American city? Not coincidentally, the same place where Women's Murder Club is at. Jessica, if I were to go to San Francisco and I were to say, you know what? I want to get from the San Francisco to the East Bay, or alternately, from the East Bay into San Francisco. And I don't want to drive. I want to avail myself of mass transportation. Mm -hmm. And I like the light rail. Mm -hmm. So if I would go and get a ticket and put on and go to this, where would I be? You would be on BART. Not the BART. No. Not the BART at all. Not the Bay Area (laughs) Rapid Transit. Just BART. Just BART. You would be on Bay Area Rapid Transit. BART. (laughs) And we know this. I think, A, it just, was just kind of in our, in our veins. Like, Jessica grew up in the Bay Area. Yes. And I lived there for many years. So you just kind of, like, learn the nomenclature and learn how people talk about things. So when we were watching, was it episode two? Uh, it might have been the first. Yeah, you're right. It was I think two. it was episode two. So we were watching yes. episode two of Women's Murder Club in preparation for this show, yeah. gentle listeners. And they kept referring to the Bart. Yeah. And it was giving me shivers. And I was just kept looking at Jacob like, ah, it's not the Bart. It's just Bart. It's just Bart. It's just Bart. This is petty. We recognize this as petty because on the whole, we loved the show. Yes. This is a great show. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but, but somehow the Bart and like, it just, it's, it is, it's like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Okay. Here's the other thing. Yes. So in San Francisco, there is another Yes. I was going to get into this. Oh, okay. What is that No, no, no. Keep going. No, go ahead. It's called, it's, I think it's called just Muni. Muni. Yes. And they have very different trains than Very different trains and Bart, and yes. And in that episode, the trains were fucking subway cars. <laughs> they were not even Bart. Bart has a very distinct yes. design. Like so distinct, in fact, that George Lucas has used it in like, TA, I think it was THX 1138. Oh, like really? it's Oh, yeah. It's, it's very futuristic. It's it's a very... Yeah, they have the same trains in Washington, D.C. They're oh. not called, obviously, Bay Area Rapid Transit. I can't I would remember hope what not. their system is called, but it's the same train. And it makes a very distinct noise. It has and right, a and right now we whooshing. don't. Right now we don't dare say it's the metro. People will write in and be like, "No, it's just metro." <laughs> we, yeah. we are. We will be hoisted on our own petard. petard. Yeah, that's what we're headed to. On but this we, one. you know what? But we love. It. Like this was a great show, but it was just. It was literally like. Ugh. It was like a little jolt every yeah. time. They, I really like this it. show, and I'm so upset that it was one season. Yes. It's true. They, and it, apparently everybody says it was canceled because of low ratings. And I'm like, really? What the hell else was on TV this year? Because <laughs> that this was, was better, good. This was really good. Yes. Like how are so, how have some of these other shows managed to trundle on when this one was just meh, gone? I don't yes. know. I, I, I agree with you. We were this was a this was a gem that we found. This was a near perfect pilot. It I thought. was. It was. Like the, like I love the the beginning of this, like how this like so the opening, the very opening scene, Angie Harmon, I forget the name of the character she's playing. Detective a, Lindsay Boxer. Detective Lindsay Boxer. She is talking to a newsstand attendant, trying to get him to like sell her a newspaper so that she can get change. No, she's not even trying to get him to sell her a newspaper. She just wants change for a dollar bill so she can like 
move her, like pay the parking meter by her yeah. car because she's there yeah. to meet somebody. He won't do it unless she buys something. So, but she's on the phone. She's talking to this guy. She's on the phone trying to get a hold of the person she's trying to meet. She's talking to this guy trying to get some change. She's yelling at the cop who's about to give her a ticket. And as she's doing all of these things, a woman plummets out of the sky and lands on her car and dies. Like, that's just... Come on! If you don't, if you don't like that teaser, if you're not hooked, tight then you're dead. Tight storytelling, exposition, character development—it's all there, all there and, and, and like, in like l- less than a minute. Low, low stakes, but still something that she's trying. Like there's yeah. a very clear objective of what she's trying yeah. to do. Why she's there? She's talking. You know why she's there? She's got an obstacle in her way. She mm-hmm. wants to get this thing. Boom, zang, yeah. dead body. Which I mean, you know me. I'm a yes. sucker for a dead you body want- in a teaser. Yep. In Show the teaser. me the dead body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. So, so the logline of this yes, is, uh, well, I'm going to give you a longer logline, is longtime friends involved in homicidal or homicide investigations. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not involved. They're, 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 they're the good guys. They're, they're not they're, homicidal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, involved in homicide investigations gather to work off the clock to solve cases. That's not actually true. They don't work off the clock. They, they are work totally odd hours. on the they're clock. On the I don't clock. know they're, why this They just says work this. odd hours. They're okay. not like nine to five people. I'm sorry. I don't know where I got this, and I should have vetted that Should have vetted this better. First. Way to go. <laughs> Way to go. Breaking the so, okay. chain of evidence. But this is where it, it gets good and specific. So district attorney, well, she's assistant district district. Attorney. Maybe she gets promoted later in Maybe the season. We don't know. But Jill has issues with her past. Medical examiner Claire is dealing with a husband newly in a wheelchair, and tough detective Lindsay Boxer suddenly finds herself working under her ex-husband. Despite their personal issues, they allow young reporter Cindy to join their quote-unquote club, and that's like the third or fourth episode. Third episode, I think. Yeah, where they finally where they allow finally her. Like officially name her as part of the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she is thirsty to be in that club. She's yeah. just like these are some women who are friendly, and I want to be in that group. Which you know, good for her. Yeah. Like let's like know what you want. Go for it. Like a little yes. female solidarity. Speaking speaking of female things in mm-hmm. the show, I love the fact that they turn the trope of the whole like grizzled, emotionally stunted detective, which is usually played by a man. And he's just like, oh, he's got a good heart and he really wants, but he's just, he's grizzled and he's like two divorces and mm-hmm. can't really connect. I love that they flip that on its head and like make it, oh, nope, we're going to put that on a woman this time. That was really great. I, I, I was like, I'll take it. Thank you. Okay. And this show, dear listeners, is written by, we were so excited to do this show because it's written by, well, it's, it's based on the James Patterson books. Right. James Patterson, who is going to write more books than the Bible. Yeah. Or, or, you know, more books have, than Agatha Christie. He's going to sell more copies than the Bible. Yeah. But the this show is written by Liz Craft or Elizabeth Craft and Sarah Fain, who are a writing duo. They are partners. Yep, writing they're writing partner, team. Writing team. That's the word. And they have written tons of stuff together and they have a great podcast together. Probably folks have listened to it called Happier in Hollywood. Yep. So, so great. And I just, I think that the show gets a lot from that, that, you know, that these four women characters and these other, and the other people that are around them are written by two women. Oh, just so just grounded in that, like, kind of the female friendship and teamwork already at the core of the creative team behind it. Yeah, That makes sense. I dig it. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, speaking of James Patterson having written, like, like written in quotes on this because he partners with so many people to do things. Like, I was picturing, like, a little bit of, like, a kerfuffle between, like, Agatha Christie and James Patterson. Like, getting them in in the (laughs) ring and just, like, seeing, like, how Agatha Christie would, like, take him down or, like... I don't know. I don't. I don't know if he's a pugilist or not. But I just. I just. Wanted, I just want to. I wanted to think about the wrestling match between Agatha, like Glow style, the wrestling match between Agatha Christie and James Patterson. What would their costumes? Look I know, like? right? Like, like, would he have a cape? Like, like James a, Patterson absolutely has a cape. Yeah. He absolutely has a cape and a cane, and I think Agatha Christie really leans into the whole like she's got like a brick in her purse. Oh, she's got a brick in her purse yes. and a broken bottle. Like she's the one who's yes. bringing. She's bringing like a broken bottle to oh a fight where gosh. she's going. She will cut you. Yeah, yeah. So. She's gonna pick up the table and throw it at you. Yes, yes. <laughs> or she'll, a chair. or or like she'll like take the moment to like give you like on a break she'll like go over and like poison your water bottle or something like that. Oh, <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. I will say that Stephen King and James Patterson have a little bit of a rival, of like weird rivalry. There was a collection of quotes in the Wikipedia that I want to read. Please. They were hilarious. 
So Patterson has been criticized for co-authoring many books, as you have said, and for being more of a brand that focuses on making money than an artist who focuses on his craft. In an interview for USA Weekend, Stephen King referred to Patterson as, quote, a terrible writer, but he's very successful. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. like fake phrase. And King also implied, while being asked on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert about how many hours it takes for him to write a book, that Patterson needed only 12 hours for two books, noting he and Patterson had a mutual respect, sort of. Quote. <laughs> Patterson said of King in the Wall Street Journal interview, he's been taking shots at me for years. It's fine. But my approach is to do the opposite with him, to heap praise. <laughs> like, so he's decided to be the sweet, like, take the higher Take the higher Well, this. that's nice. Yeah, yeah. And there's this other Oh, button. now I really think Agatha Christie would just, like, oh, yeah. destroy him in the ring. <laughs> yeah. Because Agatha Christie... She had some like, yeah. She had some what what like, what's the like, she had some vitriol. Like Agatha Christie had some vitriol yes. and knew how to take some space for herself. And she was like, no, no, no. Where no. my strategy is to heat price. Oh, Agatha Christie is just gonna take you down, my friend. <laughs> she's gonna do a leg sweep and you're yeah. gonna get you on your back. <laughs> and then she's gonna get up on the top rope. <laughs> but back to this show, Women's Murder Club, San yes. Francisco. They don't use the Bart. Um, Sorry, had to do it. She is giving me <laughs> such a look right now. What can you tell us about this episode? Well, this episode is called The FBI Guy. And the FBI takes over the serial killer case that Lindsay has been working on. Right, and, because of course... Know which we yeah, like happening since the first episode. Right. So again, the whole trope thing, she's got the grizzled serial... Not the mm. grizzled. She's got the case she couldn't solve backstory that haunts her to this day. And in this yeah. case, it's the... It's though it's like the kiss me deadly killer or something yeah, like that, something, uh, like that. something like that, or say nothing or what, something like that. Anyways, the serial killer's mo is that he sews the lips of the of his victims shut so that they can't say anything about him. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that got away, and it still haunts. And we've only watched the first three episodes. Apparently, they've been alluding to the fact that maybe she was also a victim somehow about this. Like, there's it's definitely personal in some way that other cases aren't. Yeah, and also a man is killed and. Dis- Dismembered by a vintage automobile. Oh. Which I was like, oh no, is this going to be like Murdoch Mysteries, the episode that we did? But it, no, because he's actually dismembered by the vintage automobile. Okay. So, this aired June 4th, 2008. The series, uh, as we discussed, is one season, and that pilot premiered in October of 2007. So it was kind of over three oh, seasons. It's... This is an ABC show, but we're watching it on Tubi. So it stars Angie Harmon. Right. As Lindsay Boxer, the, the sort of lead detective. Lead detective, yeah. But this is kind of really more of an ensemble It's show. very much an ensemble. I mean, it's Women's yeah. Murder Club. It's right there in the title. Yes, it is a club. The four, right. the four female yeah. leads are, yeah, yeah. Tell us the other one. So Laura Harris, who plays Assistant District Attorney Jill Bernhardt, who we discussed. Blonde and short hair. Yeah. Paula Newsom, who we talked about a lot in the... C- she he helms the CSI Vegas. Uh, oh, right. The new yeah, yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And... and um, she, in this show, plays the medical examiner, Claire Washburn, and she has a husband who was recently shot in, I think he was on the force, um, and he oh. became paralyzed and is in a wheelchair now and right. adjusting to that new life as and also becoming a sort of the, the stay-at-home dad right. um, for their children. Again, tropes. Yes. And then the fourth is Cindy, the character crime desk journalist, Cindy Thomas, who is played by Aubrey Dollar. And she's on a lot of stuff right now. I was going to say, because she looks really familiar yeah. right now. So I don't think we're watching any of it, but... We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. And so then there's another detective, Detective Warren Jacoby, who is played Jacoby, by... Ta- Jacoby. Yeah. sorry. It's Boxer's partner, essentially. Yeah, and that's played by Tyrese Allen. And then there's the district attorney, who is assistant district attorney's boss, obviously. Right. And that is played by Linda Park, who is known for a load of Star Trek. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And then, of course, don't forget Boxer's ex-husband, who's who now her boss as lieutenant. lieutenant. Yeah. And that is played by Rob Estes. And his name, actually, because they don't really say his name, but it's uh, Lieutenant Tom Hogan. It's just such a solid man name. Hogan. Tom Hogan. Tom Hogan. Okay. 
Okay, well, we're going to watch it. We're going to watch this episode, mm-hmm. and we're probably, like I said, they like to get to the body fast, which I dig. We'll watch this teaser and uh, see what we got. Sounds good. All see right. See you soon. Okay, okay, just like I like it. Two minutes and 40 seconds, we got a body. Well, actually, I take that back. We don't have a body. We have a head. (laughs) We have a head. We have a severed head. Yes, it was so gross. It was very gross. And it it was delightful. It was so scary because that first opening scene, Lindsay Boxer, Detective Lindsay Boxer, is out for a run with her dog, Martha. Right. And she's being followed, stalked by a guy in like a black Lincoln. It's the FBI guy. It's the FBI guy. Yeah. And he wants her to be a part of the case and apparently in the last episode or something she or last previously on previously on she was threatened by the kiss me not killer the kiss me not killer we discovered that was yes that that was was the the name name of the killer yes of the this this whole season arc is based around and apparently the kiss me not killer like sent a threatening photo of Lindsay with x's over her lips like that's how he sews the people's mouths shut so they think she's the next victim he really wants her to work on it. He really wants her to come back and help, and she's having none of none it. None of it, even though in the first episodes, she was all about, like, I want to be part of this. This was part yeah. of me. I gave up so much in my life to do this. So I guess in the intervening time, Somehow she's she gotten, has decided, like, I'm letting it go. I'm letting it I go. I'm moving it. on. It's yours. You figure it out. It's yours now. You, you're you so smart and hot. You figure it out. Because she's definitely, she's definitely does not like the way that... She does not believe the work that this guy has done. She's just like, I'm not a threat. He's like, you're, you're the next victim. You're being threatened. And she's like, oh, come on. He's this is, he's trying to like make a distraction or get attention. Either way, you're doing your job wrong. So she is very dismissive and not yeah. liking this FBI guy all that much at all. And she gets a call. And she get like, through one of the things that this episode has done is that, like I said, like off the clock. Well, it's not off the clock. It's just odd hours. They get, they get calls at all hours of the day. And then they go... To this murder scene and check it out. So yeah. she gets a call. It's the middle of the night. She's woken up, disturbed REM sleep, blah, blah, blah. She's jogging. She gets a call and you think it's another murder, or at least I thought it was another murder, that she'd be going right to another crime scene and checking out the murder for this week's body, yeah. uh, or the body for this week's murder. But it turns out, okay, well, I have to stop here for a second. When she yeah. gets to the scene, she pulls up in her SUV and Jessica shrieked and nearly jumped out of her seat because she was so happy to see fog. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, look at that. They're trying to do fog. <laughs> yeah, they're getting the feeling of San Francisco in here. So we, I thought she was going to go meet up with her like murder crew. No, she meets up with the homeless guy who apparently has a tip for her. She gives him some burgers, which is apparently their agreed upon like payment for tips. And he's like, oh, no, this is going to be worth a lot more. So he's like, come with me. And so he like takes her into this like abandoned warehouse. And, and of course, he, and then he says, I want you to meet someone. She's like, who? And then he says... Him. And then the camera angle turns and there's the the head right there. But I thought she was... This was all set up from the first scene where all of a sudden she was going to get... Oh, yeah. It was going to be the killer. Absolutely. This was totally... That was good setup. It was great setup because you were. You were totally nervous. Oh, my God. Is this... Are they going to really do that to me? But they didn't. It's somebody else. But that does beg the next question. Okay. So there you go. Warehouse. Decapitated head. Homeless man named Skeet. FBI guy trailing her. That's where we're at. Oh, I also want to point out, before we get too far into this, that she gets a call on her Razor phone. Yes. Because <laughs> this was 2007. Mm-hmm. 2007, 2008. I don't think the iPhone... The iPhone was just about to be introduced. It certainly didn't take over the... I mean, like, now, like, who answers their phone now? Does anybody answer their phone now? They certainly don't do that whole... Oh, man, it was just so sexy to, like, get those razors and, like, flip that razor yeah. open and be like, hi, what are you doing? <laughs> I, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you had a brick phone back then, yeah. you were second-class citizen. You were, like, brick phone users were oh, the Android users of the day. You had a brick you, phone for a really long time. I think part of your attraction to me was that I had a flip phone because I had a flip phone. Yeah. I had a very early flip phone. My... My boyfriend got us flip phone. <laughs> so we went to the county fair with another friend. Ba- back in the old cellular days. <laughs> we somehow met this lady at the county fair. And then we met up with her for coffee some days later. And she sold us three phones. It was the weirdest freaking thing ever. 
<laughs> Back in the days when cell phones were something you got at county fairs, yes. that's where we're at, people. Yeah, and she made us a deal at a coffee shop. It was so strange. You know, not at a, like, T-Mobile store <laughs> right. or something like that, or an AT&T store. It was at coffee. She brought a bag with three flip phones <laughs> in it. And we had to, like, negotiate you, you over got, email. You got the goods? Here you <laughs> yes, go. Here's it was very phone. like that. Is, uh, is roaming included? Yes. And sure. I, it had the antenna that Oh, yeah, yeah. Pull out the antenna. <laughs> and uh, it was a really cool phone. I totally felt like I was in Star Trek. <laughs> in any event. Yes. So, yes, decapitated head. We don't know if it's the killer. We don't know anything. This is what we know. What do we think? It's time to start guessing. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So now is when we look blankly at each other. Yes. I got no. I've got ahead. Gets cut. Well, (laughs) the first thing, the first thing we have to answer though is exactly is exactly what we thought going into that warehouse. Do we think that the decapitated head is part of the Kiss Me Not Killer, or do we think it's a separate murder storyline? Well, I don't know what you think, but I think it's separate. Fair enough. <laughs> so it's you think it's separate then? Yeah. Why do you think it's separate? Because I think there's always two... This is the Kiss Me Not is like an is an arching right. over like all seri- like season, season thing. Yeah. Thing. And... This decapitated head is just the episode murder. Murder of the week. Murder of the week. It's a procedural, so they're all they always have to have a murder of the week. Okay. As well as the overarching murder. Longer, longer, longer serialization ser- kind yeah, of ser- thing exactly, happening. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So where do we think? Where do I'm trying to I'm trying to think of where I think that warehouse actually is. You know what I mean? Like mm. where where do they put this? Because that might that might I might base my guess around that. Because I'm thinking like warehouses. In San Francisco, especially even in 2007, 2008, were hard to come by. Yeah, like, I think they were in Daly City or South City. You think they were in South I mean, City I all the way? I don't know if San Francisco has jurisdiction down there. Right. But that's a pretty good guess. Like, the fog is pretty hardcore down there. Pretty hardcore down there. And, and there's lots of dead lots bodies. Because lots of storage. Lots. I mean, it's the, fun- it's the funeral capital of the Bay Area. Down in Daly City. Oh, Colma. Colma, okay, yeah. Sure, yeah. Okay. So like Colma and everything down there. So maybe like maybe somebody's trafficking in body parts, and that's where they got the decapitated head from. Could be. I was, I was, I had to say, I was thinking more just Soma. I was thinking just south of Market. Oh, yeah. And something yes, in there, like very warehousey. Very warehousey. Mm-hmm. Like still kind of on the edge of like tech was tech was definitely there. But yeah, it wasn't, that was really starting to. But it was just starting to kind of come right into there. it there. So yeah. I still think you had some sketchy things in there. Yeah. So I'm wondering if like somebody, some like failed dot com or some failed business venture oh. had like stored a bunch of stuff in there. Oh. And one of the things that they found that this guy, so there's homeless guy, he's looking for some place to stay, something and like he just knows that you can go in here and you can find some like comfy chairs or offices or some kind of something from some like abandoned.com or somebody who's shoved some things down in here and oh. he just found he like he found this dead head in there ooh that's so you another think it's thing an old dead head it might be an old dead head but it may not even be an old dead head cuz again San Francisco dead heads grateful dead maybe they're finally going to like open up to the hippie past oh could be could, could be. be so there's yeah. that there's that option in there too i don't think it's a hippie past thing i this show uh, is definitely yeah. not one who like to go in for the hippie past kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I I agree with you. I don't think that's the style of this show that they would Yeah. Yeah. Be too excited about that. So I don't know the murderer, but I think I know what I, I don't I don't know the murderer. I don't know why this is, but I think there is an illusion and Oh. Yes. So I think this is an allusion to dancer Isadora Duncan. What? Okay, that is not the illusion I thought. (laughs) I I would have been well prepared for Silence of the Lambs, but (laughs) Isadora Duncan. Yes. Please explain. So Isadora Duncan was a a notable serial killer. No, no. Isadora Duncan (laughs) was a famous American dancer. Yes. She basically broke open, created modern dance. Okay. Um, before the, her pretty much professional dance had become, that you bought tickets to, had become exclusively ballet. Mm-hmm. And she just broke it up with, open and was like, I think we should have natural movements. And it's sort of celebrated American athleticism and skipping, jumping, hopping, and very like normal natural movements in that each 
each movement would come from another movement. So it was organic movement, mm-hmm. not like designed architectural kind of movement. Anyway, that's not so important, except for the fact that she was also like a free love person and she was also a communist. Oh my Lord, and when was this? So she was born in San Francisco in 1877. Oh, wow. And then she died in Nice, France, September 14th, 1927, age 50. Uh-huh. And this is where, this is why I think it all ties together. Please. She was born in San Francisco, so she's a San Franciscan. She's a Californian. She died because she got, she was wearing a very long scarf. Oh, this story. And got into a convertible, and it, it was a long scarf, and it flew out behind her, got stuck in the wheel and the hubcap of the convertible, and it pulled her out of the car and broke her neck. Oh, man. Yeah. So she's the only known killed by a scarf in, in an automobile. <laughs> the only known yeah. killed by a scarf by an automobile I person. I thought for all this time that that was Joan Crawford, but it was Isadora Duncan. The answer is Isadora Duncan. And she was born in San Francisco, so I think this is an allusion to her. <laughs> even this though is, it's a guy. He's even a guy. though it's clearly it's a decapitated. Guy. We were just talking about reversals. Oh, okay, sure. So yeah. this is like just swap genders and... He, yeah, so I think that that's what happened. It severed his head because we talk about, we already said also in the log line that that's, he, we know that he gets killed by a vintage automobile. Oh, So what if it's the same one right. even? Like if it's a, a vintage uh, oh. convertible. Oh, okay. That maybe, maybe they do make an allusion to like the dot com stuff happening that you're talking about. And so somebody has this vintage convertible and then he goes in a ride in it, he gets severed. But the thing is, it has to be a murder. So this isn't an accidental scarf thing, which is what happened to Isidore Duncan. So that's where I'm kind of like, I don't really know. But for some reason, I was like, vintage automobile, severed head. Modern dance. Yeah, modern. I don't know. I I thought I will give yeah. you I will give you ten bonus points because you know we keep track of all this. <laughs> I will give you ten bonus points if one of our suspects is a modern dancer. Oh wow! Like, Thank you, or, Alex. Or or, yeah. <laughs> or if they even go like if they even go to like a modern dance show as like some as like one of the scenes or something in here. If if there, if dance is involved, you get ten bonus points. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I will take it. <laughs> I will gladly take it all. I had completely even forgotten about the whole vintage car thing on that. So we've got a behead. We've got a guy that's beheaded, a warehouse, a homeless dude, and a vintage car in here somewhere. Yeah. So let's. Well, I think vintage car. When they say vintage car, I'm wondering if they mean like '60s vintage, or if they mean like. 30s vintage or 40s or 20s vintage, vintage or 20s vintage. vintage. Isadora yeah. Duncan. Oh, Isadora Duncan 20s vintage. Yeah. Okay. So clearly they Okay. So why would somebody want to not just kill somebody with a car, with a vintage car, but decapitate them and take off all their limbs with a car? I think this is I think I'm going to go 60s. Oh. I'm going to go massive 60s convertible here. Okay. Like, you know, like those like those convertibles that like you could like not just a dead body in the trunk, but like multiple bodies, like just the huge trunks from the sixties, oh, yeah. and like okay. where the and where they had the engine bays, where like if you dropped uh, a wrench, it would like fall through to the ground because there was just so much room in these cars. Right, right. And so I think it was, I think it was. So it's a big car, got a lot of weight to it, and like if you, doors were like if you just like put somebody's arm in a door and then just like slammed the door, it would sever your whole arm right off. Mm. That's what I think. So I think it's a 60s car. I think that's what they say, mean when they say vintage. I don't think it's a 20s. You're going 20s and dance. I'm going 60s and I'm going to go mob. I'm going to go oh, mob for this San one. San Francisco mob. San Francisco hit? mob. I think I'm going to go back. Wow. I'm going to go back to like the like the dock workers and the kind of teamsters okay. kind of uh, mob hit on this where it's just like maybe in the 60s they found out somebody was working with the somebody was working with the FBI Trying to stop oh, them from bringing wow. in some bringing in some drugs. Well, wait a minute, no, because the body is not from the '60s. The body's from now. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm mashing up my periods here. Okay. But I think I'm going to go with CrossFit. Whoa! CrossFit was really huge in like the oh. late 2000s, 
and okay. somewhere in there. And maybe sure. even till today, CrossFit was really huge. Uh-huh. And CrossFit's that whole thing where you're doing this really high intensity, you're doing that really high intensity, oh. and you're flipping over tires, yes. and you're using unconventional things to do things with. And I bet they were using this like vintage car, this really heavy, beefy vintage car to do things. And somebody just like messed up somebody else's like steroid regimen or some drug, some biohacking drug that this person mm-hmm. was trying to develop. Mm-hmm. And they just got into a tussle at the at the CrossFit facility or like they were using this car non-traditionally for some CrossFit boot camp kind of thing. And like, he's like, you screwed up my biohacking launch. I was going to have like, this was going to be the thing that was going to cure Steve Jobs of his liver cancer, even though nobody knows he has liver cancer yet. Or was it something other kind of, whatever, we're going to cut that bit out. But they were like, no, this is, no. So this is like Balco and the whole... Yes, uh, the steroids thing. Yes, this is absolutely the steroid. Yes, yes, oh, yes. Cool. I forgot about Balco and the steroids. So yes, this absolutely has to do with like steroids. They're, south of they're, Market Daily South of Market South, south of Market Daily City, yeah. all in there. And the like the these are some like these are some broads who are really into physical fitness. And then yeah, they're doing this with this car, this vintage car, and somebody loses it. They've, they've betrayed him to the feds for this thing, and they just like like maybe they they let the car roll over him a couple times and then they just dismember him or like and then they just try to hide the body and that's why this guy found it in this warehouse that's what i'm going for i'm going for a couple of tech bros working at some kind of bio lab crossfit biotech 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 bros and yes one of them screwed up one of them screwed up a launch guy got really angry and they were around this car and he just ended up using the car to kill him and dismember him. And then he was like, oh, shit. And now, like, roid rage. Yes. And then, and then so, yes. And then he just, like, wow. stuffed him into the stuffed him into the warehouse. This that's There you go. That's my, that's my thing. That's a great guess. I love it. I love it. Wow. Very cool. Thank you. I have zero faith, but there's my guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I, well, I get 10 points if it's anything about dance. If there's any modern dance involved in this whatsoever. Like, yeah. like, in, 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 like if, if they go by a theater and the theater has like a modern dance poster on it or a modern dance like playing tomorrow, modern dance, I, like on the marquee somewhere, you get the 10 points. That's okay. Well, <laughs> I, have, I don't have a lot of faith in either of these, but I am <laughs> excited. I am excited to see if Jessica will get 10 extra bonus points. Woo! <laughs> so we're going to watch the 10 episode. 10 points, 10 points, 10 points. <laughs> No. Yeah. What? Yeah. There's a video game. For what platform? For you don't know, do you? I'm asking questions know. that you don't know. <laughs> it is, I just read it on a it's website. It's just a It's it a says, video game, Jacob, that you play with the blink, blink, the blinky, the bleep, bleep, bleep computers. Dummy, dummy. <laughs> it's called Games of Passion. Ooh. It's for the Nintendo DS. <laughs> oh, what? The Nintendo DS got a game version of the book series. Yes. That is fantastic, and I love it. Games of passion. That is, that is amazing. Like they always talk about how there's like games for everybody out there, and that like that a that a crime series, a woman's murder club crime series with four female leads, and the Nintendo DS would get a game series off of that. That is just I love that. Yeah. It's like, very cool. Like, I want a Nintendo DS just to play this this game. And with that, we will also say that solving murders is for everybody, even though we never get it right. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> may, why we're may, not professional. We, we are not that. professional. <laughs> In case this needed to be said, we are not professional detectives. <laughs> Although maybe we'd do better if we waited for clues. Can but, we just have a professional detective on, though? Ooh, maybe. <laughs> I see, I, what I thought you were going to say was, can we just get our private investigator license? But no, maybe we could have a professional detective on. Maybe that would help. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it couldn't hurt. Because <laughs> once again, once again, we did not guess correctly. Not even close. Although, I will say, I have to say, so no, we did not get it right. There was one moment, though, where Jessica, where we had to make a call <laughs> to the true. podcast adjudication board in New York. There's a ruling Which, under dispute. by the way, this is a fake thing, by the way. But we just <laughs> love saying it. And 
but they, and we love that you would believe that there is a podcast, podcast adjudication, adjudication board. A podcast guessing game adjudication <laughs> Jacob, board. Why are they in New York? I don't know. I, I mean, you are one of the biggest people for like non-New York. East Coast bias. East Coast bias. You're not one of the biggest, but you uh, are. But I, I believe in the East Coast bias when it comes to yes, sports. Yes, yes. Well, it's just always whenever there's a football game, they're always like, let's send it back to New York and see what our ref specialist says <laughs> okay, there. Okay, fine. That is why the podcast adjudication why board. Why not Omaha? <laughs> send it to oh, Indiana, Austin. Austin. Send it to Indiana. Let's send it to Indianapolis, where we've got the podcast adjudication board. Our podcast adjudication board in Lansing, beautiful Lansing, Michigan. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it'll just be in Lansing from here on out. Yeah, or Squamish. Squamish. <laughs> Tucked away in a mountain. Tucked away in a mountain. Yes. In, in Canada. Their, in their secret mountain hideaway, so no one can get to them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> funny story about how that got started <laughs> <laughs> do tell oh well, now i want to do the docu-trauma oh okay the, how the, the podcast, doc- podcast adjudication board, board ended up tucked in a mountain in squamish <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> now that we've gone completely off the rails i will say that jessica does believe that she should get some sort of extra bonus points for this mm-hmm. i do not believe so and this is why it's at the adjudication board who I firmly believe will come well, down in my favor. Yeah, well, tell what happened. Well, there was one line where so Lindsay was trying to explain something to the FBI guy, and she says, what do you want me to do? Like, do an interpretive dance? And I was like, that's it! That is it! I won! I won! I was like, no. No, <laughs> we were clear. It needed to be a marquee. They needed to have, like, at a theater or something like that. So I do not think you win, and I'm sure the adjudication board will agree with me It's true. But the fact that they even (laughs) mentioned it. Yes, it was great. Don't get me wrong. It was one of those beautiful kismet moments where it was like, on some level, we were on some plane with the writers of this show. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this episode was not at all, as we just said, about interpretive dance. (laughs) It was all about about wine. It was all about wine. Another uh, another bear. Wine. Right. Yeah, no, that's fine. Fraud I'm sorry. Wine? Fraudulent fake. Fake wine. Fake. They were faking they were faking wine. They were making yeah. fake copies of they were posing bad wine as good wine and skimming the money, or at least one of them was. So but they were like so it was still involved and one of them was about to spill the beans. So I had that right, just the wrong arena. Like if I had yeah. said wine instead of steroids and biomed, right. I would have been closer. But I was wrong. You were wrong. We were both kind of wrong. We, we were both have mostly wrong. We thought about it maybe a little harder, like Napa's right there. But you, and we went south. We went tech we went, and that, That's Balto. the thing. We, that's exactly it. We went south and yeah. they went north. So fresh off the discovery of a head, we cut immediately to a crime scene, which I have to admit, like both of our things thought that they, there would be some body hiding happening. We did not think that this was going to be a fresh Kill. Yeah, like the body was right up the street. The body, that's exactly it. The body was they right up the street. probably just had to follow some like right, blood drops. Right, like why did, they didn't even need Skeet. Like Skeet's yes. like, I got some information for you. There's, I found this head. Like, I'm, there's a dead body on the street somewhere. Someone would have called this in. We yes. did not need, but on the other hand, I have to say, I loved Skeet. I was all for Skeet. That was fun. I was a lot of fun. I wanted it back. Because it really creeped us out. It really, it really us, It was a great really cold open. We really thought the kiss yeah. me not killer was Skeet or something or, or to like introduce us to him. Right. And it really put the, you know, it, it put the stakes. Yes. In there for us, which was the whole episode was about the fact that she had not told her friends that the mm-hmm. kiss me not killer had threatened her. and Right. Like she hadn't put, told anybody apparently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nobody. She told nobody. And so that was the that was the big dilemma is that all these the big people when they all these people when yeah, they found out when yeah. they found out they were like why didn't you tell us and you need to be doing this that and the other thing and we totally agree with the FBI guy even though he's not going to show up for another episode <laughs> anyways the guy who's dead they found the idea that the guy who's died, his name is Silas. Apparently he was dismembered by this car running over him several times and his head just rolled a block, a couple blocks away, but they're finding bits and pieces of him everywhere. Jacoby, Lindsay's partner, finds a bunch of wine bottles and he knows that they're an expensive type of wine too in the car. Jill, the ADA is there. She's flirting with a cop as they canvass the area. Apparently she's single. Her relationship with the surgeon is done. Cindy, the reporter, shows up. She's super excited about a grisly death. And throughout this whole scene, there is the sound of a dog barking. Just randomly, every now and then, we hear this dog barking. And it is really front and center. It's front and center. We're like, why is this dog barking? Like, did she bring Martha, the crime dog, with her? No! 
No, you know what happens? Claire walks into the scene. Claire, she's the forensic expert, the medical the examiner, medical the examiner. coroner. She's every she's every science thing you need her to be in this series. She walks up and she's holding a limb. I'm not sure if it's an arm or leg, but she's holding this grisly limb. And she's just like, found another piece. This cadaver dog over there found it. Which I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then a then cadaver dog? dog? And then, roof, roof. <laughs> Is this like a first cousin to like a fire engine dog? Like, do police have yeah. cadaver dogs? <laughs> Anyways, yes, there's a cadaver dog. Uh, they find we the, never see the cadaver we dog. Never see they the paid for one dog, and that was Martha in the cold open. <laughs> and good sound effects. Yes. They paid for one dog and good bark sound effects. <laughs> Back during the daytime, Lindsay breaks the news to a very broken up Mia. Mia is Silas's wife. She's distraught. She's like, her face is red and blotchy. She's totally crying. She's super upset. She says that Silas and her partner, his partner, Laurent, had no enemies. Everybody loved them. Business partner. Business partner, yes. And so Lindsay sets her off. But Lindsay also has Jill run a background check on Mia because Mia doesn't have an alibi as as like broken up as she is. She doesn't have an alibi for where yeah, she was at the time of the murder. Nothing. So. To chase things down a little bit more, Lindsay and Jacoby go to a fancy wine tasting party at a wine shop. And this is where the wine people start to come in. Yeah. So they go to a fancy partner at the shop. And at the event, they are blocked from talking to Laurent by some snooty gentleman with an accent who doesn't want to let them in. This is Mr. Victor Atkinson. Mr. Vic- Victor Atkinson owns the shop that they're at and buys wine from Laurent and Silas. Is this where I get to talk about Victor? What were you going to say about Atkinson? Well, this actor, his name is Patrick Nicholas Jean Sixte Gilzane, Gislaine Beauchot. <laughs> Spelled okay. B-A-U-C-H-A-U. Beauchot. He was born in Brussels, Belgium. Okay. okay. So the accent and, is legit. Yeah, for sure. Well, he knows six languages. Oh he is Lord. fluent in a- and acts in six or more wow. different languages. Yes. But looking at him, we were like, oh, this guy's got he's, a career. He's got, he's got a career. He's yeah, got absolutely. A face. He's just got he's got a face, he's got an accent, he's got this suave demeanor. Like, oh yeah, this man's working. And yeah, he's yeah. and he's he's up there in age. So it's just like, oh yeah, this is a man who has had a career. Yeah, yeah. Well, he has. Okay. His father, Henry Beauchot, was a Paris-based noted author. Psychoanalyst, psychoanalyst, and yeah, and a philosopher. Oh wow! Who served in the Belgian underground during the war? Wow! His mother was an expatriated Russian educator who ran what? a Swiss finishing school and also operated a publishing company. So slackers is what I'm hearing. Right, Just right, a couple right. of slackers. Just he... a couple of French layabout slackers. No intellectual life whatsoever. Belgian, Belgian. Belgian you're right. I'm sorry. No, they were Parisian. You're right. You're right. Whatever. Please he, go on. He won an academic scholarship and completed a degree at Oxford University. This is Patrick. Sure. Um, in the early 60s. And he became interested in film. And he had worked, and as a result, he worked internationally with famous filmmakers such as Eric Romer, Robert Kramer, Wim Wenders, or how do you spell that guy's name? I always or say, say Wim Wenders. Wim Wenders, because it's I, but, W, but it's pronounced like a V. Cause that's, that's how I've gone okay. with it. Maybe I'm being totally pompous. I don't, I don't know. know. So Wim Wenders, Alan Rudolph, Michael Tolkien, Roland Emmerich, and more. And after a couple of films in 19... 19- Which, by the way, Vim Vendors and Roland Emmerich on your, on your bio, those are some very different directors. Well, he's got some of your, like, regular TV yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, too. But after a couple of films in 1967 where his naturalistic acting was derided as not acting, they were just like, oh, he's just playing himself. He's so natural, which is a big European thing. They get so uh-huh. pissed off at Americans and they're all their naturalistic acting because they're like, that's not acting. You're just You're just being, being yourself. yourself. You're just being. Yeah, yeah. There's no craft in that. Anyway, he got uh, a little uh, hurt feelings, oh. of, seems like. And he temporarily moved away from acting and worked with Salvador Dali, constructing what? large pillow-like animal structures. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> like, how do you transition like that? When your father is a French philosopher, <laughs> you can do anything. Yeah. So he goes back to a film after a couple of years, and 
He, uh, some of his notable work, he played the Bond villain in no. A View to Kill. Wow. Yeah, he had two starring roles in Entree New and The Music Teacher, which were both nominated for Academy Awards for Best Foreign Film in 1996. <laughs> he ha- was a series regular named character named Sydney on the show called The Pretender on NBC. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. He was also in Clear and Present Danger, The Cell, Ray, Panic Room. He was a series regular playing the blind seer Lotz on the HBO hit show Carnival. He reoccurred on NBC's Revelation and ABC's Alias. And when he is not busy acting, he lives in a small village outside of Paris or in Malibu Lake, California. And he's married to Milan Mijanou Bardot, who is Bridget Bardot's sister. So he is the brother-in-law to Bridget Bardot. He met her on one of his big breakout foreign films, the one where he was accused of acting too naturally. But apparently it worked out and... She uh, apparently it worked out. I and they've say- been married for a very long time, and they have one daughter who lives in Rome. <laughs> sir, sir, my hat goes off to you. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Like we can just walk away right I now. Know, like that is right? just Mic amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, <laughs> good luck, Laurent, or actor who plays Laurent. Good luck measuring yeah, up to that. <laughs> Jess, what have you got? So the actor playing Laurent Pernault is Paul Kampf, and he's a writer, director, actor, playwright. He's from Minnesota, but he was a Chicago actor, a founding mm-hmm. member and artistic director of Breadline Theater Company. Oh, okay. And he wrote and he's wrote and directed, oh my gosh, during 2020, he wrote and directed and produced like 20 films during the pandemic. <laughs> he was like, like I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here, I'm making well. things. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, back at the station, Hope and Tom have returned from their honeymoon. Tom is the lieutenant that Lindsay was formerly married to. Hope is his new bride. And Hope is all excited to go change her name. But that also means that since Tom is back, the FBI guy can corner him. And at first, Tom doesn't want to loan Lindsay to the FBI. But then the FBI guy reveals that the Kiss Me Not killer has been threatening Lindsay. And Tom's suddenly like, nope, you get a security detail 24 hours a day. You are officially off every other case. You are now only working with the FBI guy. And Lindsay is really pissed off about this. She's like, why? I don't need this. I don't want this. I'm working this case. And while she's yelling at them both, Mia calls. Mia is so upset. She can't go on without Silas in her life anymore. She's going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. They try to get somebody, send somebody to stop her. But Lindsay's not allowed to go because she's got to stay in this room with the FBI guy. And now she's pissed. Yeah. So she's angry at him. He's angry at her. Jessica... Make us feel better about both of these people. Tell us a little bit about the FBI guy and about Lindsay. Well, Lindsay, as we uh, all know probably, is played by Angie, the famous actress Angie Harmon. She got her start kind of on Baywatch. What? Yeah. I'm sorry. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. She was on Baywatch. And then she went on to Law & Order. Mm-hmm. She was big on Law & Order. Everybody I think I remember her that. Her couple seasons there. And she was great on that show. Yeah. What do you call it? The What's that gravelly voice thing that... She's like the original... Vocal fry? She's like the original vocal fry, but she it, we all love her for it. Okay. Don't you think? Sure. I'll, mean? I'll... I don't mean to be like dismissive of her. I think that's what we all wanted, uh, to, you know, vocal fry to be like, is just to sound like Angie Harmon. Okay. As I vocal fry. <laughs> as I say that. Um, the guy who plays the FBI guy is Joe Flanagan. And he is known for many episodes of Stargate Atlantis. Mm. And recently, General Hospital. Oh, okay. And a number of other guest stars and things. And before coming to Hollywood, he was an advance man for George Bush, and he worked briefly at the White House and for Interview Magazine, and then has become an actor. 
Like you do. I guess. Like you do. When you're in the media, you just, I'm just going to become an actor if that's just how that's going to roll. Yeah. Well, he became an actor and uh, Claire became a coroner because now we're down in the like medical examination room and she has, actually not a coroner. She's in the, she's not in the medical examination room. She's in the evidence room and she has discovered that there is a special type of tire that ran over Silas. So now Jacoby knows what tire to look for when they're doing the search to find out Mm -hmm. what kind of car ran over Silas. Tom also tells Jacoby about Lindsay being threatened by the killer, and Jacoby is not pleased. Meanwhile, Jill and Cindy, Jill's the ADA, Cindy is the reporter, they have found evidence that Silas and his partner Laurent maybe pulled some insurance scam a few years back because their warehouse got robbed and they filed a great big insurance claim. They confront Laurent with this in the middle of his lie detector test, and Laurent is not happy, and he refuses to answer any more questions. So he's looking shady, but he's not the only person that's unhappy. Jacoby is still pissed that Lindsay didn't tell him about being a target, and he reads her the riot act. Later on, this is this is a really good scene. It was a really great monologue because later on he says like he make he makes this little throwaway comment later on when he's talking about somebody else. He said, "Yeah, you know, I hope you can forgive him. Sometimes when people are worried, it comes out as anger." Mm. And he, it's clear that he's talking about this other person, but he really means himself and that he's really, he's apologizing later on for being so angry and yelling at Lindsay so much in the scene. Yeah. And this is a great monologue because not only is everything he says true, and you can, but you can feel the depth of emotion between the two of them going on in this. And you yeah. can kind of tell, no, this is coming from a place of care for him. Which, I mean, it sounds a little messed up when I say about like, no, he's loving because he's yelling at her because he loves her so much. (laughs) It doesn't sound great. But when you watch it, it makes sense. And it really does like the relationship between the two of them. It's really great at that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And she has a cry. Yeah. Because she feels really bad that she put him in this position and that he's made him feel uncomfortable. But then also she's put his life in danger. Yeah. So good job, Jacoby. So Jessica, why don't you tell us who he is? So Tyrese Allen is uh, the actor that plays Detective Warren. He was in RoboCop nice. in 1987. I wish I could say I remember that, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, I remember the movie. I don't remember him. Yeah, yeah. Also on Alias and dozens and dozens and dozens of other TV show guest stars, including Castle, Criminal Minds, Murder, She Wrote, etc. And he got his start on a two-episode run of Dallas in 1983. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's some cred right there. Yeah. And first thing out. Yeah. Amazing. Good job. Well, now that they know about the insurance scam, everybody wants to question Atkinson because they think that he might have some more information to like spill about Laurent. But Lindsay has a special plan. She doesn't want to just go in directly, and she can't because she's trapped with the FBI guy. So she sends in Cindy who pretends to be a bride-to-be, and she's looking for some special wine to go for her wedding. So she goes to Atkinson's shop. Lindsay doesn't go with her because she's stuck with the FBI guy. He doesn't appreciate her very much. He thinks that this whole act of hers, that like she was so put off by this killer and, oh, it meant so much to her, he thinks it's just a lie. Otherwise, she'd really be helping him. She admits that she's failed. She's like, just let me off the hook so I can let go and go on with my life. And he looks at her and he's just like, no. Straight up, just no. That is the end of the scene. Anyways, Jacoby is now off searching for tire treads from Claire's crew. And none of our suspects, like none of their tires are a match. Um, But Jill has found a new clue that Mia, the wife who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, has a retirement account with someone named Dylan. So they're like, okay, some weird financial hanky-panky is going on here. Go find Dylan and talk to Dylan. So Tom and Jacoby head out to the Marina District to confront Dylan But Dylan isn't a dude. It's Mia under a pseudonym. Mia was living a double life. She was Silas's wife as Mia, but she's actually Dylan married to some random dude with three kids. Tony. Tony is this guy's name? Well, whatever. (laughs) Some some bro dude in the marina. So when Silas died, she had to get rid of the Mia identity. So she pretended to jump off the bridge and pay the cabbie to say that he saw it. She's not dead, but she is a dead end. And we love her anyways. So just... Tell us why we love Mia so much. Well, Mia is played by Suzanne Cryer, who is, if you watch the show, two guys, a girl, and a pizza parlor, or a pizza place. Pizza place. Which then became two guys and girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was on that. But more importantly. But more importantly. 
importantly, she was on Silicon Valley. She was the the venture capitalist who bought their firm. Right. Famously unemotional. Yeah. And famously unemotional. And she's fantastic. There you go. So why don't you tell us all about Jill who gave her the clue, who gave us the clue to go, uh, go check out Mia. So Laura Harris plays assistant district attorney, Jill Bernhardt. She is a Canadian American and she is known for playing the 1930s starlet Daisy Adair in Showtime's cult hit Dead Like Me. Oh. With Mandy Pentankin and Cullen Blue. She also has done film work, including Robert Rodriguez's The Faculty, Christopher Guest's A Mighty Wind. She's in A Mighty Wind? Yes. She's also voiced Kitty Pride in Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. And in her personal time, she is active in the food justice community, recently receiving a full scholarship for the University of California, Berkeley, to study social ecological systems design. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And she splits her time between LA and the Bay Area because of school. Because of school. Well, go Bears. Yes. Good for her. That's awesome. And I love that. Justice in food, which actually takes us back to the Hall of Justice. They do so many shots of like the Hall of Justice oh in my this show. Gosh. Hall of Justice, Hall of Justice, Hall I'm sorry. I have to pause and say, I can be forgiven if I expected the Super Friends to show up. Yes! I 100% It's the Hall of Justice. It's the Hall of Justice. Where's Superman? Anyways, after that joke. Anyways, back at the Hall of Justice, Claire has some run some tests on the wine and found out that Silas and Laurent were not counterfeiting expensive wine. But Cindy throws her a curveball and gives her the new bottle of wine from Atkinson. So that turns out that that is the fake wine. They cracked the case. Atkinson is the one who's supplying the fake wine. Mm -hmm. So, Jessica, why don't you tell us all about this dynamic duo, Claire and Cindy? Oh, yes. So, Claire, we have talked about her before. The the actress Paula Newsom is currently helming CSI Vegas, the new one that came out in 2021. And we talked about her at the beginning of our season. So go back and listen to that. She's fantastic, wide-ranging genres in her background. You know, a lot of people who do murder mysteries, like they kind of stay within that noir murder mystery thing, but she's got her start basically on Friends. (laughs) That was her first, you know, like appearance. She's also been on Barry. She's been on Chicago Med, little... Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. She was recently in the new Spider-Man. Again, I'm sorry, I talked about her before, but she's really great and cool. And I just think it's so interesting, her wide ranging background. Yeah. And then Cindy Thomas, the crime desk journalist, is played by Aubrey Dollar, who is in Filthy Rich, which stars Kim Cattrall. Oh, okay. She's also, Aubrey Dollar is also in Battle Creek which she stars in with leads Josh Duhamel and Dean Winters, who's the insurance, is it Allstate Insurance? Mayhem Save you dude. from mayhem like me. Mm, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes. She was also in Dawson's Creek and Guiding Light and many, many other She TV was in shows. Dawson's Creek? She looks yes. way too young to have been in all those shows. I know. All right. Meanwhile, Jacoby and Tom have found out that Laurent, Silence's partner, has a new warehouse that he's been hiding from everybody. They go visit that to see what's inside this warehouse. Turns out it's a whole bunch of vintage cars, like cars that have the special kind of tires that ran over Silas. So they bring the whole crew in. Claire finds a truck with the special tires they're looking for and has blood on the grill. But it wasn't the first car that was tried. There are other cars that were tried to be hotwired, but were harder to hotwire. So this truck eventually got to point being Somebody has been trying to find a car to take out. It wasn't Laurent who would have had the keys and could have just started up any car. Mm -hmm. It was somebody else who stole it, ran over Silas, and then brought it back trying to frame Laurent. So now that the bottle of tests have come back in and this second bottle of wine that Cindy got from Atkinson turns out to be fake, and they know that somebody's trying to frame Laurent, they know that it must be Atkinson. It all snaps into place and everyone... Time to go after Atkinson. Yeah. So they all round up and go to Atkinson's shop. And Atkinson, for like his part, does not go quietly. No. This is this like septuagenarian, like smooth talking European septuagenarian who's like, nope, I've got a gun. I've got bullets. You are not taking me. 
He's like shooting at the. It's a it's a shootout. Like the it cops is. come in, he shoots Tom. Tom goes down. Lindsay gets pissed off. Jacoby's under fire, but Lindsay comes around and captures Atkinson after he does his evil monologue of evil about why he did it all because no one understands good wine and of course he could get away with it. Silas had mm. found out about everything and was going to expose him so Atkinson had to like kill him so that he can continue to go with it because he wasn't going to do time. Meanwhile, yeah. Jacoby's like, you were shooting at a cop. What do you mean? Like, you're going to do a lot of time now, buddy. So anyways, congrats all around. Back at the station, Tom brags about how Heather has changed her last name to his last name. So... It's great. He's this Prince Charming up there, and Lindsay's a little over it. But she does confess to the FBI guy that she did, at one point in her life, want the whole Prince Charming thing, but doesn't anymore. Anyways, since we're talking about him, tell me a little bit about Tom. Yeah, so Rob Estes plays Lieutenant Tom Hogan, and he is known for silk stockings. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, <laughs> he played Sergeant Lorenzo, 100 episodes. Wow, I didn't yeah. realize it got that many. Yeah, me neither. He was also on 90210, and he was also on Melrose Place. How do you get a role on both of those shows? Oh, I, I totally understand that. They were both Yeah, they were both there in spelling. They were both yeah. around the same time. And mm-hmm. like all of the, like Silk Stockings, 90210, Melrose Place, they were all hot all around the same time. So yeah. it makes sense. Okay. I feel like I need to go back and watch Melrose Place in 90210. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. And you may want to go back and watch Marlowe's Place in 90210, but Lindsay does not want to go back and be with Prince Charming anymore. But talking about Prince Charming with the FBI guy makes her realize something. She realizes that the Kiss Me Not Killer is recreating classic fairy tale scenes in his murder settings with like the Mm -hmm. copper bathtub and the key and the mouse and all this thing. So she calls the murder club together to look through the old fairy tales and figure out the the story that he's telling. And prodded by the FBI guy... She finally admits to the rest of her friends that the killer is after her, too. They pl- they pledge not to flake on her because they did that last time they abandoned her. They pledge not to abandon her, and they're going to help her bring down the killer. It's very sweet. Yeah, it it's is. It's a very good ending. It's a very yeah. sweet emotional ending. So since it was so great, Jess, why don't you tell us all about Liz and Sarah and their writing and... And even the director. Yes. Yeah, so we have a, a little bit of a, I don't know, it's not really a confession, but the reason why we chose this episode, this show, is because we are big fans of Liz Craft and Sarah Fain. Absolutely, 100%. They are the writing team and showrunners of this show and many, many others on TV, and they have a fantastic podcast mm-hmm. that we and like tons of <laughs> and everybody else here listens to. Happier in Hollywood. Yeah. We're not alone in that. That's a great podcast. Yeah, yeah. Their credits include The Shield, mm-hmm. Angel, Lie to Me, The 100, For the People, The Fix. The 100. I didn't realize they were, I didn't yeah. realize they had a, some on The 100. That's awesome. Yeah. Fantasy Island. Actually, I should amend that slightly. Those are not all their writing credits. Sometimes they were consulting producers, but that means writer. Yeah, pretty much. Basically. They came on. They, they they came on. They contributed. They wrote. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And right now they're working on Fan- they're yeah, season Fantasy two. Island season two. Very exciting. And yeah, huge podcast. Love it. And, you know, now think that I should probably dry clean my T-shirts because that, (laughs) thank you, Liz, that was your advice. They have done, I don't think they're going to do them so much anymore, pandemic and everything. Pandemic and everything. um, Yeah, they used to do... They, they do regular get-togethers. Yeah, yeah get-togethers and things. So, yeah, check out the podcast. Check out their community online. It's really, really supportive, really vibrant. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to talk about the director? Oh, my gosh. Okay, director... Michael Schultz. Mm-hmm. He did one episode of the show. I don't know if he would have done more because they only had 12 episodes, but man, rock star to get on their first season. Mm-hmm. Michael Schultz went to Wisconsin Madison and Marquette, mm-hmm. and then he transferred to Princeton. Wow. And from there, he joined some different theater groups. He directed Waiting for Godot, which apparently was kind of like a notable, I mean, it's famous, it's Beckett, but sure. like notable, notable production, production of it. at okay. Princeton. And then he moved to New York and was part of some notable black theater companies there. And he directed To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, which was the, it's about Lorraine Hansberry's life, written with excerpts from various like diaries, journal entries, but it's in her own words. That's Uh the subtitle of of the play. And then he eventually directed the TV movie of that as well. He has a nomination for a Broadway Tony Award as Best Director 
for Does a Tiger Wear a Necktie in 1969. And then he has an Obie Award for Best Director of uh, the NEC's Song of the Lusitanian Boogie, which was a, a big deal. And this is not the end of it. There's so much more to say about him. Mm -hmm. But probably the craziest cool thing about his resume is that he has two Cannes Film Festival awards for the movie Car Wash. Wow. What? That's awesome. Yeah. Wikipedia talks about him is that his earliest film projects combined low comedy with profound social commentary, hence like Car Wash. And then also he directed Which Way is Up? Starring Richard Pryor, which is kind of a, which is based on an Italian script, which mm-hmm. is very, look it up. It's very Commedia dell'arte. Yeah. Lots of people and, sleeping around with other people. Yeah. And lots of deep meaning about labor and unions. Right. And, and working, uh, working against capitalism. Class, yeah. In 1978, Schultz took the reins of the musical, directed the movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. <laughs> Oh my with God! The, Don't hold that against him. Yes, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great produced show. With the, the music, Bee Gees, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 and Peter Frampton. Like, holy crap! So yeah, he directed that, and it was at the time the largest budget ever entrusted to an African American film director. Wow! At that time, he's also well known for the film called Cooley High, which the logline is in 1964, Chicago near North Side, the lives of four carefree high school seniors and best friends, including an aspiring playwright and an all-city basketball champion, takes a tragic turn. I just love that there's a movie with an aspiring playwright in it. And we're, I feel <laughs> of course like, there is. I feel like Pretty in Pink has just like, and all those John Hughes movies have like ruined us for like people who take things seriously, oh. like playwriting, you know, like, or novel writing or something, you know, like... Like people, people. Ugh. The eighties. They just like had the to be 80s, cool. Yeah, we we wanted to be musicians and marine biologists and <laughs> like. I want to be. I want to be a marine biologist that plays an electric guitar while riding on a porpoise. Yeah, or we all wanted to be Gordon Gecko and go work on Wall Street and make a ton of money, rather than like being a playwright. Yeah. Or Smoke like I said, galois. being a novelist. Yeah. Yeah, or a novelist or a poet i mean think deeply on things like yes like be a french philosopher yes yes well exactly i'm glad that all of these people thought deeply about things and were able to make this great episode yeah i loved it Mm -hmm. i enjoyed it even if i didn't win and uh we're still waiting wait 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 Uh, hold on a second we're getting a we're getting a morse code uh telegram in yes yes i'm sorry jessica that's it yeah yeah well, that's Morse code. You got it. It's all oh, good. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry, the Podcast Education Authority from their home offices in Squamish, some mountaintop <laughs> outside Squamish, which we cannot reveal on pain of death. You know, you didn't get the points. Dang <laughs> so once again, Ew. once again, no points for us, but hopefully, hopefully you got some points. Let us know how you did. Follow us on the Instagrams and the socials. So yeah, we'll see you then. See you then. everybody thanks for listening we really appreciate it and now we want to hear from you tell us your guesses your scores your insider info your favorite logic cop catches and your suggestions for what shows we should watch next follow us and join the fun on twitter at clue or on instagram and facebook at clue podcast rate us and review us on apple podcasts to help get the word out because watching tv is always, always better, better with, with friends, friends. My friend down the street, <laughs> she watched that like every day and we watched it with her like on repeat constantly. And then I was surprised the... just how well you knew the musical. Yeah. But like I told I played you the Beatles album and you're like, what? This is not how this goes. It's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It was so great. We watched that so much. And then she was in love with the Bee Gees. And so that we listened to all the Bee Gees music. <laughs> I was like, who are these hairy guys? I never understood. <laughs>